this is the long-awaited one, Jesus Christ. It's not his first and last name. He is the Messiah. Listen, the Bible is all about one person, Jesus Christ. About three-quarters of it, the Old Testament, written before Christ, B.C., is, you could characterize it by the word anticipation. Then you have the four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you could characterize them by saying the manifestation. There's this anticipation of Jesus, and then he's here, and you see him walking among men, loving like no one ever loved, speaking like no one ever spoke, helping and healing people. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we conclude our short series of Christmas messages. Pastor Scott brings part four of the message titled, There Came a Man Sent from God. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. I was talking to a man earlier this week who is new to the Bible, and I could tell when I encouraged him to read the Bible, he was a little bit, you know, and I said, hey, it's a big book, and he goes, yeah, it is. And I said, you know, and I pointed him to this book of John, and The Bible, you might be sitting here saying, the Bible's a big book. The Bible's a big book. Listen, the Bible is all about one person, Jesus Christ. About three-quarters of it, the Old Testament, written before Christ, B.C., is, you could characterize it by the word anticipation. Then you have the four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you could characterize them by saying, The manifestation, there's this anticipation of Jesus, and then he's here. And you see him walking among men, loving like no one ever loved, speaking like no one ever spoke, helping and healing people. The whole world recognizes the uniqueness of this man. And then you have the epistles, Romans, Galatians, Corinthians, all these little letters in the New Testament, and they're exp- the explanation, they explain the significance of Jesus. And then you come to the last book of the Bible, and you have the revelation, the revelation, the culmination of Jesus. So there you have the Bible, and wherever you pick it up, its goal is to bring you and me to Jesus. Now, people ask me, why do I believe the Bible? Why do I consider it to be the very Word of God? Why am I convinced of that? Why do I feel no no apology to stand here and say, God says? Well, there are many reasons. I'd be a whole other sermon, or two or three. But top near the top of my list is the fact that this Bible, this particularly the Old Testament, the anticipation is just permeated with promises and predictions. In other words, we call them prophecies. There's roughly 1,200 prophecies that point to Jesus. About 300 of them were fulfilled minutely in his first coming. Details, And then about 900 of them are awaiting their fulfillment when he returns because the Old Testament prophets were constantly saying, he's coming, 
He's coming. He's going to suffer, and there's going to be glories to follow. And I tell you today, a lot of our songs, we're going to sing, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. You read and sing and think through the words of that, and we'll sing it in a minute. You'll be hearing not just the time he came the first time, but what will be like when he comes back. No more let thorns and thistles grow. I'm no gardener, but I, I'm told that there's still thorns and thistles around. My wife would tell me, yeah, there is. You see, we're waiting his return. But this anticipation is an amazing thing. I marvel sometimes when I get a letter uh, from elsewhere in the country, and it, all it takes is three lines to get right to me. There's, what, 380 million Americans or something like that? And all it takes is three lines, my name, street, city. And it'll get it's an address. And when I get something from overseas, four lines. That's all it takes. Name, street number, city, USA. And that's true of eight billion of us. You can get there with a four-line address, and you're the unique person. It's written to me. Well, I share that simple illustration because what we're seeing here in verse 45, we found him of whom Moses wrote and the prophets wrote. What you have in the Bible is like a prophetic address. And I want to just walk through just a few of them just to kind of remind us because only Jesus could be addressed in this way. And God began right at the very beginning in Genesis. And all the way through, you see him narrowing it down as he gives prophecy after prophecy that are fulfilled in this Jesus. We found him of whom Moses wrote. You know, at the very beginning, God created us, and he put Adam and Eve in a perfect situation. And he said, you can eat of all these trees, just don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat of that tree, you will surely die. The wages of sin is death. This world isn't a paradise. This world is messed up. It's dark. It's chaotic. We hurt each other. There's a lot of problems. Why? Because we've sinned. And as soon as sin entered the world, they, they disobeyed God, they sinned. God began to promise a Savior. And so in the third chapter of Genesis, in my Bible, one page over, I read as he's pronouncing the curse, the wages of sin is death, and as he's pronouncing the curse on the serpent, he says, He makes the first promise, the first promise of a Savior. And he says, he, the seed of the woman, and your seed, serpent, there'll be enmity. And it's interesting that he used that phrase, the seed of the woman. We wouldn't normally say that. It's a veiled reference to the fact that Jesus was virgin born. He isn't tainted with Adam's sin. He's a perfect man among men. God overshadowed Mary, and thus the holy offspring will be called the very Son of God. Well, he said, 
the seed of the of the woman will be at enmity with your seed and he will crush your head. He will bruise your head and you'll bruise his heel. It's a picture of this, stomping on the head of the serpent. And it's a picture of the cross. When Jesus Christ crushed the evil one. Now, that first prophecy tells us, kind of like if you think of the address, it tells us that God isn't going to do something from uh, mechanical or whatever. He's going to personally enter the human race. The Messiah will come from the human race. He'll be a man. Chapter 12 of Genesis, he says to Abraham, I'm going to pick you out and your seed, you're going to be a blessing. I'll make of you a nation and your seed, the nation of Israel, will be a blessing to all the nations. Because again, yes, he's king of the Jews, but God's purpose is universal. I don't care what race you are or what ethnicity, we're all the human race, but what ethnicity, what color, what background... God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe. And he's calling people out from every tribe and tongue. So he told Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And from your seed, all the nations will be blessed. Genesis 12. Then in Genesis 49, and you think it through, you go, okay, Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob. And his name was changed to Israel. And Israel had 12 sons. We get the 12 tribes of Israel. And Jacob, when he was old and leaning on his staff in Genesis 49, he gave prophecies for each of his boys, each of the tribes. And he picked out one tribe. God picked him out and spoke through Jacob and said, the tribe of Judah, the scepter will not leave the tribe of Judah, until Shiloh comes. Genesis 49.10. So he ruled out all the other 11 tribes, and he's narrowing it down. It's like an address. The Messiah will come from the race. He'll come from a nation, Israel, and he'll come from a specific tribe, Judah. And then he said, and these prophecies, and I'm giving you just a, just a handful of them, There's so many throughout the Old Testament. But you come to Isaiah, and he's kind of the chief of the prophets. And Isaiah uh, gives many great, beautiful pictures of this Messiah and the Messianic age. And Isaiah 11, he says, there's going to come a shoot from the root of Jesse. It's not just the tribe of Judah, but this man, Jesse, there's a family that I'm going to bring this man through, the family of Jesse. And if you remember the story, Samuel came uh, to anoint the king of Israel from Jesse's home, and Eliab stood up, and he looked like the guy. And Samuel, in fact, the prophet said, Surely I'm in the presence of the Lord's anointed, Samuel 16. But God said, no, no. Don't look on the outward appearance. Man looks on the outward. God looks on the heart. And so each of the boys came by, you know, and finally he said, I don't have any boys. Well, I got the youngest one. He's out tending the sheep. He's a shepherd. 
And David came and God said, this is him. Anoint him. So you have, not only will he be of Jesse's family, but he'll be the son of David. And the New Testament opens with that phrase, the book of the genealogy of the son of David, Jesus. So you have not only his family and his uh, very father, the son of David, but you have the place. Uh, When Herod heard the wise men, they're coming to worship a king, a new king. He was upset, of course. He, He was the king. He didn't like that at all. And so he called the Bible teachers together. He said, hey, uh, where's the Messiah supposed to come from anyway when he comes? And they said, well, that we know that. It was written in Micah. He'll come from Bethlehem of Judea. And we get familiar with the story. We read it. It's in Matthew 2, by the way. And you can almost forget how amazing this is, that centuries before, 800 years before Christ, The Bible said the Messiah will come from Bethlehem of Judea. Micah 5, verse 2. So you have this amazing address, prophetic address of our Savior. I mean, God even told the time. Uh, He hasn't told us the time of his return. He said nobody knows that. He's coming unexpectedly. But the first time... Daniel opened the book and when he was in the exile in Daniel 9, and he saw that God is able to um, predict times. God said, I'm going to have Israel be 70 years in exile, and then after the 70 years, you'll go back. He was reading that. You can read it in Jeremiah 25 and 29. And so he went, he went to prayer. And as he prayed, and it's a beautiful prayer, when he closed his prayer, God gave him another prophecy and told him when Messiah would come. And when Messiah would be cut off. And in Daniel 9, it says that when there's a decree that goes forth to rebuild Jerusalem, from then there'll be 69 weeks of years, 483 years. From when Artaxerxes gave the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, 483 years later, Messiah will be cut off. Artaxerxes gave this in 445 B.C. And you do the math, and 483 years later, with the mixing of the calendars right at the crux of time, the scholars have been astounded. They've looked and they've said, it comes to April of 32 A.D. Messiah will be cut off. No, all this was prophesied. Time, place, family. It's an amazing thing. We found him of whom Moses wrote. Now, when you come to the death, when you come to the cross of Christ, this is the crux. I, I don't want, you know, one of the things that we should not do is at Christmas just, just kind of talk about a baby in a manger. I went to a play uh, this this week at a different uh, different place for one of my grandkids and it was beautiful to watch that they they not only had the manger scene, it was well done with music and a lot of scripture about the manger and the baby born, and then the cross was right out there too. And they brought the cross in, and the whole thing, I felt like I'd heard the good news of a great joy celebrated that night. Because always, I'm here to tell you, we don't just celebrate his birth. 
we celebrate that he came to die. He was born to lay his life down, to die. And when you come to his death, that last 24 hours of Jesus' earthly life, no fewer than 29 specific prophecies are fulfilled, right down to things like the soldiers gambling over his clothes and the way they crucified him on a cross. And when David and the psalmists wrote about this, crucifixion hadn't even been invented. No, it's an amazing thing. And you'll find many of those 29, by the way, in Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. Two great prophecies that explain and tell the details of how God would offer up his son, a ransom for me and you. This is the love of God. In fact, I would like you to turn there. Go to Isaiah 53. Friday morning, we gathered, uh, as is our habit, uh, to pray. The elders of this church and busy men, uh, you know, just like you and me, But we gather early Friday morning, and we had such a good time of prayer. And what we did is we read just several passages from Isaiah and the Old Testament, and then we read the fulfillments in the New Testament, and it was just like God was speaking to us. And this is one of the ones that we read. But when you see this amazing prophetic address, much like Gary said earlier today in this service, he said, Why would anybody stay in the dark when you can come to the light? And sometimes I think, why would anyone not come to this one we found? But it's so easy to miss him. You could be here and you've celebrated Christmas for 17 years, 37 years, but you've never really come to him. And you might be looking for a Messiah Unlike the real Messiah, you might be, in fact, a lot of people, you know, to talk about the real meaning of Christmas, maybe you kind of get edgy almost when somebody says, I know, here they go, they bring the religion into it. (laughs) Because we've so secularized it that it's all just about happiness and lights and, you know, no. But it's very easy to miss this one because, you see, he didn't come in grandeur and glory. Read it with me, Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Have you missed him? Have you, like people sometimes tell me, how how could a Jew 2,000 years ago, and what does that have to do with my life today? And maybe you've been looking for something other than the real Messiah, and you've missed him. Because you see, he's forsaken of men, a man of sorrows. Why? Because he came 
to lay his life down for you and me. Read on, verse 4. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. It was because of my sin that was placed on him. Your sin. He was guiltless, but he became guilty in our place. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. The wages of sin is death, and God personally came to the earth to pay for my sin, to lay his life down for me and you. And don't miss verse 6. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We do our own thing. We've gone our own way. We've sinned. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. John came and he said, there he is. And when John was getting his instructions back in Isaiah, God said, get up on a mountain and proclaim this. And he said, what do I, what do I say? And you remember we looked at it last week, get up on the mountain and say, behold your God. Isaiah 25 says this, behold, this is our God for whom we've waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we've waited. He will swallow up death for all time. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. Have you come to that point where you can say, yes, he's my savior. You hear people say, we found him. We found Messiah. And maybe you haven't really embraced him yet. And to you, it's just kind of a clutter in your mind. Or worse yet, a, uh, a you know, just something gets in the way of just celebrating the holiday or whatever. Oh, no. Today, I tell you, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. We've found him. Have you found him? Can you say, I found him, my Messiah, my Christos, God's anointed one who died in my place for my sin. This is the joy, the great joy of Christmas. This is our God for whom we've waited that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we've waited. We, he, he will swallow up death for all time. Let's rejoice and be glad in his salvation. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, There Came a Man Sent from God, a message from our Christmas series. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. If you don't have a church home in the area, we'd like to invite you to join us for our special Christmas Eve candlelight services. 
Join us Saturday, December 24th at either 3 or 5 o'clock in the evening for a great time of worship, Christmas music, our kids' choir, and a special Christmas message. It's such a wonderful time of year in celebrating our Savior's birth, and we'd like to share it with you. If you'd like more details, just browse to our website at swbible.org. We hope to see you there. We're continuing to see new growth in the Romans Project on the continent of Africa. Most recently, we've added the countries of Guinea, Mali, Senegal, Ivory Coast, Gabon, Madagascar, and South Africa to the ever-expanding outreach of the project. We'd like to invite you to learn more about this ministry or to become a partner with us as we minister to pastors and church leaders throughout Africa. Just navigate over to romansproject.org or connect with us at facebook.com slash romansproject. Since Christmas is falling on a Sunday this year, we'd like to let you know that our Sunday Christmas service will be at 11 a.m. Sunday, December 25th. There's more information available at our website at swbible.org. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. What's his purpose? He's going to make us like his son. He's going to conform us to the image of his son. He predestined this from all eternity. He's going to make me and you, Christian, like his son. He's going to make his son the firstborn among many brethren. You didn't choose me, Jesus said to the twelve. I chose you and appointed you. Paul writes to Timothy toward the end of the line, and he says, Remember, Timothy, he saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Oh, there is security in that, and there is glory to God in that. Join us again next time as we go back to our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part four of the message titled, God's Unshakable Purpose. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. 